paid attention to this, we prayed that the IDF would uncover things hidden, that God would give them revelation to find things hidden. And that Sunday, um, they found, that afternoon, they found tunnels, ammunition, uh, guns, databases, sophisticated computers, all the electric below the UNRWA building. That's the United uh, Nations Relief and Works Agency. It only works for the Palestinian. Uh, it isn't the normal uh, UN uh, dealing with refugees, but that's what it was, and they've been discovered as being um, part of the terrorist movement there against Israel. And it should be uh, classified, in my opinion, as a terrorist organization because that's what they're doing. They're supplying, but they deny it, of course. So the interesting part of that is God has revealed what was there, and it's out. It's out there in the news. And the wonderful thing is one of our uh, hostages were released, captured, or re two of them actually were uh, through a, uh, some kind of endeavor that the IDF did and brought them out, which was a, a great blessing. But there's still many, many more, 136 or 34 uh, hostages still being held there. So we're going to continue to pray Pray for them and pray against all pressure. I want to read you a scripture. I want to pray against all pressure to go to a two-state solution as well as the matter of, of giving up land. And the, and the prophet uh, Joel, Joel Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Mike, uh, Amos, Joel, got to find that one. Joel, Joel, Amos, okay, if I find trouble, I know you're fine. We're, we're trying to find Joel. There it is. In Joel chapter 3, in verse, uh, I wrote down 3, 2. Uh, two. I will gather all nations, says the Lord, and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel. Because they scattered my people among the nations, and divided up my land. God's very serious about his land, and it was given by God to Israel, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to that's the land. So we need to pray that way this morning. Would you join me in praying for Israel today? Father, we stand with them today. We're uh, coming to your throne on their behalf, that you would not only uh, give them wisdom, uh, protection, uh, insights, courage to stand, all those things. And we pray for Israel today. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for your will to be done in that land. And also, we pray that the eyes of the Jewish people, they would be open to see their God. They would see God. They would see Jesus Messiah. They would see him in their uh, time of trouble right now. So we stand with them. We pray against all assignments of the enemy to destroy and to bring about lies and, and deceptions, we pray for truth to prevail in that place in Israel today. And we thank you that you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you're still standing right now on behalf of your people. And we stand with you and with Israel in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians is a book we've been going through since the year 1998. I know it hasn't been that long, even though all of you think it's been that long. It hasn't been. But we start in verse 1, and we've been going down verse by verse 
through this wonderful letter to a group of people in Colossae, a town about 100 miles east of Ephesus. We all know Ephesus by virtue of the book of Ephesians, and we know it by the book of Acts about Ephesus and all the wondrous things God did there. But if you go 100 miles on the river, Tychus River, I believe it is, and about 15 miles from Laodicea is a town called Colossae. And this town was in the midst of Roman rule and Greek Gnosticism. It was worshiping of idols and the mind and all that kind of stuff. But in the middle of that environment, a very uh, difficult heathen environment, uh, there was a church, a group of people who believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Paul writes to them from prison. He's in prison back in Rome, but he hears about them through one of their people, Epaphras, who is also up there with them. And he said, oh, you, uh, Paul, you ought to hear what's going on. I mean, it's awesome what God's doing with that group of people. And so he writes them a letter, and uh, this is a letter he's written to them, Colossians, the book of Colossians, a letter. And in that uh, writing to them, he does what Paul often does, is he teaches them about the superior, superiority of Christ, about the awesomeness of God that we serve, the plan of God from the beginning, from creation on, and he talks to them about even Jesus Christ, creator of all things. By his word, everything is held together. And in this little four-chapter book, he's outlining things to them. And the chapters one and two are, are very outlined in terms of instruction or teaching. I've been a teacher at different times in my life, and I taught in Bible college and so forth. And every teacher that's in the house knows that you teach theory, and then you pre-teach application. It's a, it's a very good way to do it. You say, this is how it works, this is what's going on, but that's not enough. You can't stop with all the information. It has to have an application in your life. And that's how the Word of God is lined in many of Paul's letters and throughout the Scriptures, that you need to know certain things, and once you grab hold of those things, now we're going to say, all right, let's put it to work. Let's go out and do it. Let's see how this truth about God and the Lord Jesus, the resurrection life, comes out in our lives. So we're in chapter 3, which makes the turn from doctrine, that's teaching, to the practical outworking of that and how to live. How do you live in the world? And how do you live in an environment where you're the minority, of course, but you live in a, in a culture that is against you? Uh, Peter wrote about the, all the um, believers that were scattered throughout uh, Asia. They were scattered there. And so they're in persecution. They really are. And they're in a time of how do you confront the culture? And all of us, by the way, are living in the same uh, period type thing. We're confronting a culture that believes in crazy stuff. In fact, uh, we sang a song. He knows, he, knows this, he places the stars in heaven. He placed them there. And he calls them by name. Judy and I were listening to the radio the other day, and they have an advertisement about how to treat your Valentine to something very special. Send us money, and we will name a star after your loved one and the one you love, and we'll send you a certificate. And she said, don't they know they already have names? You can't put Jim's name on there or Judy's name on there. God calls the stars. He knows them by name. So the world is all messed up. They think we can steal the names and use them for something else. Unfortunately, I don't know all the names of those cabillion stars or whatever they are. Okay. Anyway, 
The whole point about this writing is that we're going to walk this out, what God has shown us. Look at verse 1. And uh, it says, since then you've been raised, chapter 3, Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, not on your heart, but your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. So there's hope, promise, but a direction of setting our hearts where they belong. Now, I want to go down to verse 12, because it, this is the, the um, scriptures that we're beginning to look at. Uh, verse uh, 5 through 11, we've covered that. That's, that's putting off the sin, putting off that old life, putting on the new life, the new life for what it means to live as a believer. Verse 12 says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, verse 15, again, he's saying this is, this is what you're going to do. Put it on. Let the peace of Christ, the peace of God, rule in your hearts, since as members of one another you're called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I could just stop there because it's pretty clear. Do it. This is what you do. This is how you put it on. This is how the application comes in putting on those things. But the, the thing that, that has struck me about this is he has gone from those verses we've looked at before about how do you live with people. And we talked a lot about that last week in the sense that when we lived in the environment of the world without Christ, uh, it was ugly. We were, we were mean, nasty, rude. Uh, liars, uh, we were sinners without Christ, blinded, dead in our sin. But when Christ saved us, called us by name, called you, the elect of God called you out, here you are, and he's brought you into his kingdom, it's a whole new environment. It's a new place, learning how to live in this kingdom, not that kingdom. Learning how to live in this house, not that house. And we talked a lot about that matter of moving into something. But in verse 15, it began to strike me that what he begins to talk to them now, it actually begins back up in 12, but he said, now I want to talk to you as a group of people. I want to talk to you as a church. Now, this is how you, you're out there in the world living. Um, I remember years, years ago, there was a bumper sticker. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? You can think about that one. If someone said, oh, yeah, they are a Christian, no doubt. I've watched their behavior. I've heard their words. I've seen them act things out. I've watched them. Yeah, judge, they are guilty. I testify that they are Christians. That's sort of a pointed thing. If you were called to court right now and said, this guy's a Christian, this girl's a Christian, and we're going to arrest them on that fact, are there enough witnesses to prove that you were a Christian? I'm not sure. 
you've got to answer that question yourself. Has there been enough evidence that said, I belong to Jesus? And that's a call for us. So he said, that, uh, in the early verses, he said, this is how you live in the world. But then he sort of makes a switch. He said, okay, family, we're going to have a family conversation here. I'm going to call you all back in here. And we're going to sit down here. And as they're reading the letter in the church back in Colossae 2,000 years ago, I'm sure they gathered against, hey, we got a letter from Paul. Let's see what he says. And then he begins to talk to them on how they need to treat each other. In verse 12, he says, uh, God's holy people, clothe yourself with compassion, humility, gentleness, all this. Now, verse 13, bear with one another. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against anyone, forgive. And in verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, since as members of one another, of one body, you're called to peace. So he, he said, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move it away from how you live out there to how you live in here, how we're going to live in this house that we have. There's a, there's a couple of, uh, of things here that uh, Paul gives us clues about practical life. Verse 12, he said, you're God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. We talked about that. Being loved by God, chosen by God, and then he said, you got to bear with each other. That one another's, forgive one another. Members of one body. 16, it says, admonish one another uh, as you teach one another. Admonish one another. Singing with gratitudes in your heart. All these are how I live with you, and you live with me, and you live with one another. Just turn to the closest person around you. If it has to go about 15 feet, holler at him. Say, are you one of one? Are you, I can't even say it. Are you one of the one another's? Are you another one of the another's? Ask him that. Are you one of those? Are you a one another? If you are, if you said, I'm one of the one another's, then you got to listen to this. This is how we do it. Can we get any more tongue-tied things to say this morning? Uh, one another. Okay, so these are the places that God wants to deal with with the church. One, verse, the first thing is let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Why? Because you are all called to peace. Now, you and I both know that we can have a false peace and just sort of smile at each other, especially on Sundays when you're all looking good and you got your happy face on and, and you don't want to wear it too, you don't want to be too real for crying out loud. We wouldn't know what to do with you if you were really real. But as long, as long as you're outside peace, hey, how's it going? Good. Everything's good. Inside, you're just screaming in agony. We know how that goes. But he said, you got to let peace rule. But it begins inside. I need to let God's peace rule inside in and then live in peace outside with one another. Because you were called as members of one body. You're called to peace. And in that, one of the, the keys is to be thankful for one another. Be thankful. Use that, those words about thanksgiving. Uh, as you, many of you know, my mom just passed away at the beginning of the year, end of last year. But uh, her mother lived with her and my grandmother. And she was uh, 96 as well as my mom when she passed. But I remember she was the sweetest thing. I mean, you go over her house and she'd call you sweetie. And she was so happy. And I asked my mom one day, why, why is grandma so happy? He said, because she's thankful. You can't do anything for her with, unless she says, oh, thank you, sweetie. <laughs> she would just learn it. She was about this big. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. So sweet. 
And I remember this kid growing up with grandma around. She was thankful. And unfortunately, I know too many people who are very unthankful and ungrateful. No matter where that is, whether it's on your job or in your own house or out in your neighborhood, people are just grumpy. Why? Because they're not thankful. Be thankful. Count your many blessings, the song says. Name them one by one, and it'll surprise you what the Lord's done. So we got to be thankful, and that produces and is an evidence of peace in your heart because you're not grappling for more or wanting your own way and so forth. So in and out, let the peace of God rule in your hearts because you are called to peace with one another. Okay, second thing, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is no light command. You know, we read the Bible and we say, oh, that's a good idea. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's good. But look around you. If your eyes are watching what's happening, and I pray that you are, we got to be people with our eyes wide open, looking at our world with a biblical worldview, and measure what's going on in the world, in prophecy, in what's going on, and in the church through the lens of the Word of God. We've got to keep the Word of God in our minds as we look around. Otherwise, you're going to go nuts. You're going to get wrong impressions. You're going to listen to the wrong things. Get God's word in your heart. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, but look around. I, I follow the church. The church is my heart. My church, the church is what I think about. The church is what I look around about. And I have seen so many things in my long years of churches who do not let the Word of God dwell in richly. The Word of God is ignored. The Word of God is put off to the side. The Word of God is twisted. The Word of God is denied. It is cast doubt upon. You don't want that Bible. That Bible is whatever. You can't, don't even bother reading that. But we're a church, and we're going to smile, and we might feed a few people. We might do a few things. We might close somebody, but we are going to deny the very Word of God that we say we follow because we haven't let the Word of God Dwell in our hearts richly. And I'm talking from the top down, from the bottom up, all through the word of God. There's a time that we have got right now that the standing on the word of God. It's, uh, it just breaks my heart sometimes. I see the stuff going on. There's a lack of just simple Bible training that the, that the, and teaching that the Bible is true. You can trust the word of God. It becomes all about music entertainment. Let's see how we can tickle your ears. Let's make, you, make sure you can just feel good when you leave here. If anybody feels good when they leave here, it's not my fault. Okay, no. <laughs> Sorry. Let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter. No, you need to feel good when you leave. Go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to go to verse 16 because, listen, uh, I'm, you know I'm talking about the joy of the Lord is your strength, Right? I'm just talking to you about the twisting of the word of God that that would try to make you feel that this is irrelevant and you can just live any way you you like. The word of God must be in us. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed, inspired, God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. It's the word of God that grabs hold. It's inspired. God breathed. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter 
uh, chapter 1 and verse 21. If you can't, uh, if it's difficult to keep up with me, write them down and check them out later. Check out these scriptures. Verse 21. Verse 20, he said, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though humans spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God. They spoke as from the very voice of God, the prophets. You see, everything in Scripture... The, the author and subject is Jesus. The author and subject is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was sent from heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. It comes from him. In Luke chapter 24, um, let me read this one very quickly. This is after Jesus' resurrection. He's walking with two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he talks to them. And he, he said to them, verse 25, Luke 24, verse 25, he said, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He was talking about your Bible, the scriptures in front of you, they're talking about Jesus came across the quote the other day. It said, you take Jesus out of the Bible and you take the son out of the world and the soul out of the body. There is no soul, there is no son if you get rid of Jesus out of the word of God. Now, keeping the word of God richly in our hearts, making it flourish, be a part of it, it's not enough just to be taught the truth. We must possess it as a present personal experience. By that, I mean that it's got to be my now life. When I come across a situation or circumstance, where do I run to? What, how do I apply or believe and walk in the promises of God right now where I am? And I'm talking to just even the most mundane things that happen. It's, it's the other day, I'm, I'm driving along, and my car does this hiccup thing every once in a while that bothers me. Like, Anybody have a car that talks to them or bothers them? Yeah. Probably got a parking lot full of them, you know. They just talk to us and they do their thing. And this has happened before and I knew what it was. And I said, oh, no, Lord, not again. Is this going to be it? Is this going to be the day? And I just had to remember, I said, God, you gave me. All this belongs to you. And I'm trusting you to get me where I need to be. I'm like Jesus in the boat with the disciples I'm rowing this car as fast as I can row it to get it where it belongs. It's going to be fine. But it's, you know what, you know those things that come up immediately? What are you going to do? I go to God. I say, God, this is yours. I'm going to trust in you. I'm not going to curse the car, curse the garage, pursue work. Listen, believers, trust in God and apply the word. And it's not just learning about God. It's bringing him in every present personal experience that I have. It isn't just... Uh, Helping people become Christians either. We want them to fall in love with Jesus. We want you to fall in love with him. Because the church is not just an institution, but he's writing to a family. This is the family of God. A relationship with the living God. The word is here and abiding in us, dwelling us as in a home. 
again, I came across someone who said, the word of God is never to be treated as a stranger or a slave at a distance in your home. And, and I read that and I said, what, is, what, is, what was the guy say, slave? Because there are too many people throughout my life and people I've seen use this Bible to beat up on people. I hope no one's experienced that, but it's done. It's not that stuff. This is about Jesus. And we follow him and we live in him. And he's is at home. It says, dwell in you. It's at home in your heart and in your home. Uh, years ago, when I was teaching out at Montana Wilderness School of the Bible, we had a young man there and a young lady. And what often happens when young men and young women get together, somebody falls in love with somebody or something happens there because that's the dynamic that happens. So this guy and this girl, uh, they, they're falling in love. And it's only a one-year program, so they have like seven months to get along and decide they're going to get married. Okay, so... Which is, they didn't ask me, so I didn't tell them. Anyway, so uh, he lived on the West Coast, like Washington, Oregon, out there, and she lived in Michigan, I think. But anyway, I hear the story that he was coming. They, would you marry me? Yes, I'm going to marry you. It's going to be so wonderful. So he flew out, and this is a number of years ago, so he flies out and uh, to be with, meet the fam. Going to meet the family. This is going to be great. He gets there, going to be there a week, be the family, be with his girl and all that. And then the first night he's there, she said, it's over. I don't love you. I don't want to be with you. And he's stuck. He can't fly out. He has no place to go. So his story is he said, I slept in the basement for seven days with a family that didn't want me there because I have nowhere else to go. This is it. And so all of his love and dreams and all that got crashed the first night. She could have done it before he flew, but she didn't. She waited. And I thought about that. I thought, uh, how often do we tell God that we love him? We love him. We want to be joined with you. We want to learn about you. I want to learn about the things of God. I want to go that direction. And then when we arrive at his house and his relationship, we say, well, no, I changed my mind. Is the word of God a stranger in your house? That you one Sunday said, oh, God, I want to read your word. I want, to give, I want to fall in love with you. I want to know you. And then from then on, you put him in the basement, not talking to him, sort of shoving food down every once in a while to keep him happy, right? Keeps him sustained. Let it dwell in you. Number, uh, verse 16, he said, let the message of Christ dwell in your hearts. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and, and spiritual songs from the Spirit, singing with God in your heart. These next thoughts are, uh, might not seem to be much in your thinking. I have got to hurry here. Uh, let's go to Romans 15, 14 real quick. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really wrap this up quickly because we have more to do today. 15, 14. Paul writes to the church in Rome and he said, verse 14, chapter 15, verse 14, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are filled with goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Admonish one another. Teach one another. Uh, it, it, admonishment is a word of warning. It calls for 
giving a word to someone. That's got to be a warning word about look out where you're headed and watch out for this or that. But if you look at the definition in Greek, it includes that there is not a hint of distant judgmentalism or of criticism launched from some height of supposed superiority. Did you hear that? When we admonish one another, it cannot be from a distant judgmentalism or criticism launched from some height of supposed superiority. And it's not just commanded to leaders to be teachers and those that admonish, but it's the one another by having a genuine concern for each other's well-being. No hesitation to encourage others and look out for their well-being to encourage each other for godly living and bringing glory to God. I got I to gotta, I gotta be done here real quick, but this is very hard to do, by the way, because nobody, I include myself in this, find it easy to receive something when someone is correcting us or telling us something or giving us warning. If there's one word, and Jenny and I talked about again this morning, so I'm going over when I'm going to preach, and she said, the one that just gets me, as your pastor or as anyone, is when you give someone a word and said, you know, this, I, I think you need to watch your fear. You need to be careful of that. This is a word, and it has to be done with the right tone to just irritate me really good. I know. It's like being a teenager. You know, you've got to clean up your room before you can go out. I know. You've got you to roll the eyes with it. I know. I have met too many believers who when you try to give instruction or try to encourage, they look at you with that, oh, I know that. Well, then why don't you live in that? Why don't you allow the word of God to dwell in your hearts and you do it with a welcoming heart? That's why I think Paul writes all these other words in Colossians where he said, be kind, be loving, forgive one another, be careful of grievances, love one another, but in that love you're going to do other things. And you got to do it through song, and with that I'll talk about songs next week. Right now, I want us to understand that all this is so that God might get glory through his church, reaching to a world that needs Jesus. We're going to learn about that for the next few minutes. We're going to learn about how we can introduce Jesus to our community Worship team, come, we'll sing a verse or two of this and get ready. Uh, we have two uh, wonderful young ladies who are going to talk to us about LifeWise Academy. And you, uh, But listen, uh, we have to rise up and sing. We need to rise up and declare the word of God to him. Would you all stand together with us? They're going to grab their guitars and instruments here just real quick.